Church of Choir and Orchestra. Today we continue our series, Family Matters. And our focus today is going to be on senior adults and meridian or middle adults. I'm going to emphasize the middle adults because I figure that if you are a senior adult, by now you have probably decided to go ahead and stay together. That is not necessarily true, however, with those in their middle years of marriage. Marriage is not static. There are phases in the marriage relationship. Now, you probably remember that when we first get married, that is a positive time. That is, my spouse is perfect. That girl I married is absolutely perfect. That guy I married is absolutely perfect. However, somewhere between year two and year five, we are told things begin to change somewhat. There was a couple in their third or fourth year of marriage. They went to a counselor and uh, the counselor asked the woman what she believed was wrong. And so she had this litany of everything that was wrong in the marriage relationship. She listened. And then she said to the husband, now, what do you see as being the problem? He said, I don't know. Oh, what's your name says that I don't love her anymore. So things begin to change somewhere between year number two and year number five. So today I want us to focus on those people especially who have been married somewhere between 15 and 35 years. And there are challenging times during that period. There was a woman advertised in the newspaper for a husband. She re received a few letters from men who offered themselves but she received scores of letters from married women saying, you can have mine. <laughs> In a recent study of the middle years of marriage, it was summarized as a mood of disenchantment. Only 6% of wives who had been married for 22 years said they were satisfied with their marriage relationship. So I want to address that today. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 16, and we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar the Egyptian her maid and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, 
and she fled from her presence. Now Abraham and Sarah, even though they were older, were in the middle years of their lives concerning their lifespan. As we look at them, allowing them to be the focus of our attention today for the middle years of marriage, we see, first of all, that there are challenges in mid-marriage. First of all, there are physical challenges. During those years, our bodies are going through changes. And as we look at this passage of Scripture, we see that Sarai was past the childbearing years. In chapter 17, verse number 17, Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? So during these years, these middle years of marriage, these middle years of life, our bodies begin to change. And we see in this passage of Scripture that they are both past the childbearing years. Sexual interests begin to diminish. In chapter 18, verse number 12, and Sarah laughed to herself. There's a lot of laughing going on with them, isn't there? Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also. So at this time, their bodies are changing. She is past the childbearing years. Sexual interests begin to diminish, and there are hormonal changes in life, in the bodies, and it can cause a time of volatility in the marriage. One characterized these years as explosive outbursts followed by days of deep depression, shattered by further outbursts and lots of tears. Many homes during the middle years are run by water power. You know, as I'm going through this and I'm looking at some of our young marriage, you're probably wanting to give up now, aren't you? I mean, if this is what I have to look forward to, I might as well give up now. But I'm not finished. As you get older, your energy level is less. When one is young, one can work all day and dance all night. And in those middle years, you can work half a day and fall asleep in front of the TV at night. Middle years was described by one as when feeling your best is not feeling as good as you used to when you were feeling no better than you should. All right, so when we're looking at these years, these middle years in life, and I see some of you in that category who are smiling because you know the truth of what I'm saying, there are physical challenges and then there are relational challenges. Probably some of the relational challenges are a result of the physical changes that have taken place. These years, strangely, are vulnerable to affairs. You'll see there in verse number two. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Now she suggested this. 
I mean, we, in fact, she said please. So she suggested this relationship. But I noticed that he did not protest. I mean, he, he, was, he was willing at this point to do what his wife had suggested he do. I think probably the middle years in marriage are the time we are most vulnerable to affairs. And I think the reason for that is that the wife oftentimes is looking for the affection that she no longer receives from her husband. And the husband is trying to reclaim his lost youth. And nothing makes a middle-aged man look younger than a young woman on his arm. So when I look at this, I think that it is a vulnerable time. The middle years, I believe, probably to be most vulnerable to affairs. And then the presence of children can complicate things as well. And they did with Abraham and Sarah. As you read the story, you will find that Sarah and Hagar were constantly in conflict. So the Bible says in Genesis 21.10, Sarah said to Abraham, drive out this maid and her son. For the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. And so there was this conflict within the relationship. So when children come into the relationship, it becomes more complex. One therapist said that he does not know a single case of middle-aged divorce where the alienation had not started with the birth of the first child. I'm not saying if that's right or wrong. I'm saying that's what this therapist said. During the middle years, our children are teenagers or they are young adults usually. At that time, our children are becoming independent. Now you know when, when they were little, when our children were little, we told them where to go, when to be home who their friends were, what they could do, and so forth. So during the middle years, our children normally are at that stage when they desire independence. They want to be independent to make their own decisions. So it is a time when our children are becoming independent. Then there is the empty nest. For years, the family has revolved around the children. The children have been there. You've taken them to ball games. You've taken them to church activities. You've taken them there. You've taken them everywhere. And now they're gone. And you know what oftentimes happens? At least this is what I believe. When there is a relationship that revolves around the children, the husband and the wife do not adequately develop their own relationship. And when the children are gone, they discover they are living with strangers. They have not developed a relationship as husband and wife, but as parents to child. And when the children are gone, they find they are living with someone they really do not know. Then there are psychological challenges. 
It is during the middle years that we begin to realize some of our dreams are not going to be fulfilled. My dream about my spouse, I started out thinking that she was perfect, that he was perfect, and now I have seen he or her at their worst too many times to believe they are ever going to be perfect. So that dream is not going to be fulfilled. My dream of being rich, I might not get there. It may not be fulfilled. My dream of becoming the CEO of the company where I work may not be fulfilled. Someone else has received the position I thought I was going to get. And so disillusionment sets in. We are disappointed in the way that life turned out. Someone wrote, if early marriage can be expressed as oceans of emotions surrounded by expanses of expenses, then mid-marriage can be described as dimensions of tensions surrounded by years of tears. It is during those middle years when we begin to realize our dreams may not be fulfilled that we become disappointed in life and in the relationship and then boredom sets in. I'll not ask you to give yourself away, but if you've been married somewhere between 15, 35 years, what new are you going to say? I mean, you've said everything. What else is there? Boredom begins to set in at that point. One young man was graduating from college. He told his dad, he said, um, you know, before I go to work, I'm going to take a year off and I'm just going to travel and become aware, more aware of the country. And I'm just going to look at things and experience things and so forth. And the dad was listening. And finally, the dad said, son, let me get my coat and I'll go with you. If our goals are not fulfilled, then we begin to see ourselves as failures. See, we have a lot of dreams in life, and if they are not fulfilled during those middle years, we begin to see ourselves as failures, and at that point, we begin to reassess our lives. Who am I? What do I want to do? How do I want the rest of my life to be lived? And there are many people at that time decide I'm young enough to do something else and they change things. So the only thing I'm saying, and I know it's depressing up to this point, there are some challenges to middle marriage. Everyone who has been there or is there knows that there are challenges in middle marriage. But there are also capabilities of mid-marriage. You see, if this is a predictable scenario, then we ought to be able to plan for it, right? I mean, if it is predictable that these things are true, then we should be able to plan for them. And I would say to you that during that time, develop your relationship. Your love for your spouse can grow in the middle years. I was thinking about Linda, she was the prettiest thing I ever saw. I married her, 
she still is. She's just a little more mature now, but she still is. You know, I loved her when I married her, or at least I thought I did, but nothing like I do today. The appreciation I have for her today is much greater than it was when I married her. See, during those middle years, it, it doesn't all have to be that way. During those middle years, you can develop a relationship of love. Develop your communication. Grow in communication. Folks, don't spend, listen, I wish I could, I, don't spend all your time talking to the children and being involved in the lives of the children. Develop the relationship with your spouse. Spend time communicating with your spouse. I know one man, when the children left home, said to his wife, I was wondering if you would ever notice I'm here. That's really tragic. I was wondering if you would ever notice I'm here. You see, during those times, you need to learn to communicate with each other, develop your love for each other, develop your communication with each other. It is a time to grow spiritually. And it can be the most valuable spiritual time in your life as you share that love and that communication with each other. Develop a proper perspective about life. And what I'm emphasizing here is that we are living in times of change. Things change. They've always changed. I read about a, a, a small company and on the first anniversary of the employee, they would give the employee a little silver tie tack. And so there was this young man who was celebrating his first anniversary and the head of the company gave him this little silver tie tack. He looked at it and he said, man, that's beautiful. And he stuck it in his earlobe. <laughs> well, things are changing. They, they're not always like they used to be. Your marriage is in the process of change. You began as husband and wife, and then there was, for many of you, most of you, husband, wife, and baby, and then there was husband, wife, and child, and then husband, wife, and teenager, and then husband, wife. It is changing. So understand that life changes, and you have to respond to the changes. Adapt to the changes that are happening and accept them when they're good. Not all change is bad. You know, sometimes we get to thinking that everything today is bad, all the, all the good old days. You know, we, 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 as we get older, we're always wanting the good old days, aren't we? Did you know for these young people, these are going to be the good old days? See, it, it's changing and accept it when it's good, use it when you can. If the changes that are taking place in life are good then use them to strengthen your marriage and then resist them when you must. There are some changes that we must resist. The first is that the family must always be the place where there is a sustaining function. It is a place of stability. That is foundational. I guess that's one of the reasons I get aggravated when I hear People talking about the problems we have in society and the things we need to do. We have problems in the school. What do we need to do? Well, we need to put more teachers in the classroom. No, we need to strengthen the family. That is foundational. 
I, I hear about all the problems we have in the inner cities, and they say, well, we need to put more cops on the street. No, we need to strengthen the family. You see, the family is foundational, and we're not going to fix all of these problems out here while we are ignoring the foundation. So the family always has to have that sustaining function, that place of stability. It is the stable place in our lives that must never change. It is the proper place for intimate sexual relationship. It is the place where parents teach their children to be good citizens. The Bible says train up a child in the way he should go. Why do we have so many problems with our young people today? Why do we have so much violence? Why do we have so much irresponsibility? Is it because of public policy? No, it's because we as families did not do the job we're supposed to do. You see, we, we want to take our children today and send them to school and say, make them smart. And then send them to the church and say, make them good. When the Bible says that happens in the home. Train up a child in the way he should go. It is the place of spiritual function. You should always teach your children and model spiritual values for them. So their capabilities of mid-marriage. I can tell you about all the challenges that mid-marriage has, but young marriage has challenges as well. And whenever you get old, there are challenges there as well. They're always challenges, but they're also capabilities. But then finally, there's a celebration of mid-marriage. And Simon Peter, in his letter, speaks about marriage. And he gives as his example... Abraham and Sarah. They are the examples he points to. Now, Sarah is an example for wives. She is an example of submission in 1 Peter 3, 6. Thus Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You wives like that, don't you? Calling him Lord. I told Linda to do that. She I told her one time, I said, just call me Lord. <laughs> I mean, if it's good enough for Abraham, I'll take that. She didn't, she didn't buy that. But, you know, the, the, the thing is, is that sometimes we resist. And yet we know if there's going to be order, someone has to be in control. Someone has to be in charge, right? I mean, in a business, in sports, in anything, someone has to have the final word. Adrian Rogers used to say, where there is no head, it's dead. When there are two heads, it's a monster. Somebody has to be in charge, and so she was an example of submission. She was an example of serenity. 1 Peter 3, 4, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. So, she was not always that way. You know that Sarah was not that way for a period of time. But she became a woman who had a serene spirit. She was an example of service. Peter said she obeyed Abraham, which means that she met his need. You know what? It's a good thing to allow your family to see your servant spirit. It's a good thing. 
Men, it's good for your children when they see you serving your wife. And wives, it is a good thing when your children see you serving your husband. She had a servant spirit. But then Abraham is the example for husbands. He was considerate of Sarah. In 1 Peter 3, 7, Peter wrote, You husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way. When he said live with, that means more than sharing the same address. It means to spend time with. So live with your wives in an understanding way. Spend some time with them. Get to know them. In an understanding way, that means that you hear what she says and know what she means. And those are oftentimes not the same thing. <laughs> First amen of the day. <laughs> Live with your wives in an understanding way. He was considerate. He was courteous. In 1 Peter 3, 7, he says, and grant her honor. You know what that means? It means precious. He saw her as being precious. You have some things that are precious to you. Maybe it's a piece of jewelry. Maybe it's a piece of land. Maybe it's an automobile. The Bible says that Sarah was precious to Abraham. Do you see your spouse that way? Do you see your wife that way? Abraham is your example. And then he's an example in communion. He says, grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. In other words, she was not just his wife. She also shared in a spiritual manner the grace of life. Let me conclude. There are a lot of hurts in mid-marriage. I'm sure that some of you have been hurt in your marriage relationship. How do you deal with it? How do you deal with those hurts? You deliberately forgive each other. The Bible says, and this is one of my favorite verses, because I love Abraham and Sarah. They had the challenges that were real. They had real challenges in life. But the Bible says in Genesis 23, verses 1 and 2, now Sarah lived 127 years, and Sarah died. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. See, she was the love of his life. And in the loss, his heart was broken. Forgiveness usually moves through three stages. First of all, you feel anger. When, when the person that you love hurts you, then there is a sense of anger oftentimes. Now, you can express your hurt and hurt the one who hurt you. You can repress it and hurt yourself or you can deal with it properly. You feel anger, you choose to forgive, and forgiveness is a decision. You can carry it around as long as you want to, or you can forgive. But it is a decision that you make. But when you decide to forgive, it's then that you can have closure and move on with life and begin to build life. There's a church in Iowa that is known as the Little Brown Church. They have an interesting ceremony and a wedding. At the end of the wedding, the pastor will take the 
bride and the groom, the new couple, to the entrance of the church. And he says to the bride, you have the honor to ring the bell. There is a rope that hangs down and a bell attached. You have the honor to ring the bell. Well, she pulls on that rope, but she can't ring it. And the pastor then says to the groom, lend a hand. And he takes hold of the rope with his new bride, and they pull together and ring the bell. And the pastor says then, remember, as long as you pull together, you can ring the bell. Folks, as long as we together commit ourselves to each other, commit ourselves to the Lord, you can ring the bell to a wonderful marriage. Today, I'm going to say to you that the foundation for life is a relationship to Jesus Christ. And if you are not a Christian, if you're not saved, then you're building on a faulty foundation. And I pray today that you might commit your life to Christ if you have not. If you are committed to Christ, you do know Jesus Christ, it's important that you have a relationship with the church. And we'd love to have you here, but you need a church in which to share your life. In the invitation, if you've never trusted Christ, I'm going to ask that you come to receive him. If you need a church home, we'd love to have you. Our Father in God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the promise of it. And Lord, I pray for these today who need to make commitments. May they do so in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask that you stand with me as we stand together. The choir is going to sing. I encourage you to come and give your life to Christ. Come. Join the church, but as they sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do.